We're just days away from Super Bowl 58. I'll have a complete breakdown of the game, my prediction and thoughts on the halftime show, commercials, how this will be the most watched program in the history of television, and even Taylor Swift. That's right, Taylor Swift. Also, the NFL is NFLing as we come to find out that the Eagles are opening their season in Brazil, but on what day? The NBA trade deadline is 3 p.m. this afternoon. Can we expect some surprise deals over the next several hours? Another top-ranked team in college basketball goes down as the Jayhawks suffer a road loss against an in-state rival. Did the long all-star break spoil the Edmonton Oilers' chance at history? And two deals in Major League Baseball with an up-and-coming star and a potential Hall of Famer take place as pitchers and catchers are set to report in just a week. It's a super jam-packed podcast to close out the week. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the Jay Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel at Jay Reels as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support. And without further ado, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings! How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, with another Sports Dead Zone looming just days away. It's coming, people. We have lots to dive into, as I have quite a bit for us to chew on when it comes to what's happening in the world of sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back, and we're T-minus three days, or depending on when you're going to listen to this, from Super Bowl 58, Allegiant Stadium, Las Vegas, and I'm sure everybody's just chomping at the bit, getting ready to make all their prop bets, getting their parties set, making sure that the list for whatever it is that they're trying to cater, or even cook for that matter is all set in stone, getting ready for the final football game of the year, because as I mentioned at the very top, the sports dead zone is coming. So let's just bask in the glory of these next few days, and we understand that it's an event, it's the unofficial holiday, at the end of the day it is a football game, but we all know it's a rallying cry for people to get together, whether it's in sports bars or restaurants or even homes of friends, family, maybe even some enemies along the way, but... We know that this game has a lot of pop and circumstance. And think about this. 
When I saw that CBS, which is broadcasting the game, that their pregame begins at 11.30 a.m., why not start it the night before during Saturday Night Live, run it through the night, into the next day, morning, throughout the afternoon, and for kickoff there at 6.40 p.m. Sunday night? 11.30, I cannot watch one minute of pregame stuff. Imagine watching seven and a half hours or six and a half hours, whatever it is. Uh, all these shows, and I understand this is 2024 in the world we live in. And this is coming from somebody who's doing a podcast, has a channel. I know I'm one of a zillion, but to have CBS with a pregame starting that early, oh my goodness. And I know NFL Game Day on the NFL Network, they start at 9 a.m. So bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, especially with the three-hour difference. I know I'm all over the map here, but this just goes to show how big this game is, what it means to... Not only just the football fan, the sports fan, but Americana. That it has to be over the top. It has to be just from start to finish. Not even just the game itself, but everything leading up to the game. And there is a ton. And I'm sure for some, the Taylor Tracker, that's right, Taylor Swift, from the time she finishes her concert in Tokyo to fly halfway around the world to get to Las Vegas and for her to be shown whether it's on the Jumbotron, whether it's on CBS, the broadcast, during the aforementioned pregame show, and there are even prop bets, 89 of them, if you do the math and the correlation between 89 and Taylor Swift, to where you can even bet 89 different ways on Taylor Swift here in the Super Bowl. That's what it's come to. So it doesn't even matter that there's a game being played between the hours of 6.40 and I'll say... 10, 10, three and a half hours with the halftime show and the commercials, etc. But yes, there is a game involved. And let's talk about that before we get into the other things. Now, on Monday, I went into some early storylines. In particular, the Andy Reid-Patrick Mahomes combo that they would be just the fourth in the history of the sport if they do win another Super Bowl here. And this will be three of the last four years. And mind you, the Chiefs couldn't win a Super Bowl for 50 years up until... What was it? The 2019 season, right before the pandemic, when they beat the Niners the first go-around. And of course, that's another storyline with the matchup, or the rematch, if you want to call it, between these two teams. And then we have the Niner drought going on 30 years that they have not won a Super Bowl. And they had a couple of close calls, as we talked about there, between Super Bowl 47, when they lost to the Ravens with a controversial ending with the pass interference that wasn't called in the end zone against the Ravens, and then you had the scenario there, obviously, just a few years ago in Miami, where they had a 20-10 to lead in the fourth quarter, and Mahomes came back, and the one pass that Jimmy Garoppolo had Emmanuel Sanders wide open, and he overthrew him in the end zone. And now, with the Niners, and even Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, he's had many close calls winning this game, whether he was an offensive coordinator in Atlanta, or the head coach that he was four years ago in Super Bowl 54, and now... Not to say it's his time, but it's almost as if, when is it going to happen for the head coach? And then you have the quarterback too, Brock Purdy, who the seventh round pick, last pick in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant, has a shot to really be at the forefront of history, to be a guy picked that low at the very bottom to lead his team to a Super Bowl victory, which would be storybook to say the least. And all those storylines, and that's just a few that I discussed the other day, but as far as the game itself, how I look at it here, and this was going to be critical, at least for me, we know the Niners are stacked from 
1 to 53. They have a very balanced roster. They have a team that could be sound defensively, although they haven't really shown that here over the last month and change. But they are a team that maybe with two weeks rest, and even though they had to buy, as we know, going into the playoffs, but maybe with the almost hiccups that they had against Green Bay and Detroit, the slumber coming out of the gate against those two opponents in the divisional and championship games, that maybe they'll be retooled and refined to the point that they'll get back to the way they were in the early part of the season and right before Christmas when the Ravens went in there and just ran them out of the building. And with their offense, when it is an oiled machine that it can be, when you have the likes of Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, we know the offensive line is stout, the stretch running game that they have going back to Kyle Shanahan's dad, his days in Denver when they won the back-to-back Super Bowls in the late 90s. And the one key player in all this is Christian McCaffrey. If McCaffrey's going to have that type of game, and not to say he has to rush for 150 yards, but if he's going to have that game where he's going to have 16 carries and maybe rush for 90 yards and spread the ball throughout all the skill position players and obviously get McCaffrey into the passing game, this could be a long afternoon for a chief defense that's actually risen to the occasion over the last couple of weeks. All right, Buffalo was a bit of a shootout before they hung in and slammed the door on the Bills. And then we saw against the Ravens with that high-powered offense and what they did throughout the course of the regular season with the, we would think, likely MVP Lamar Jackson and holding them to 10 points. But for the Niners, to me, if they're going to win this game, and yes, it's easy to say McCaffrey's the next factor, blah, blah, blah. But when a guy who is in the running for the MVP himself and McCaffrey, you can't really look at him as an X factor because he is a main component on the ball club. But to me, what he's going to do on the ground is going to be pivotal for the success of the Niners come Sunday night. Because if Brock Purdy's going to be in a bunch of third and longs, and I know that the Chiefs are going to be without Charles Omenahu, who tore his ACL in the championship game. And yes, you do have Chris Jones, who you think they're going to double team. And they are going to blitz with Steve Spagnuolo. You saw him dial up a ton of those against the Raven offense. And obviously, a quarterback who is dangerous with his legs. And even though we saw Brock Purdy there in the championship game escape a couple of collapsed pockets and was able to get first downs and extend drives, etc. But he is not Lamar Jackson. And he is a guy that I would think that the chief defense and the coordinator, they're trying to devise a plan to put as much pressure on Purdy as possible to try to keep him in that pocket. We understand that the Niner offense is quick passing. Obviously, is that stretch run that we see time after time with the way the line goes left in particular, and it also goes right as well. They can go up the gut as we know. But for the Niners to have any success in this game, To me, it's going to fall on the shoulders. Obviously, the quarterback, as we know, but McCaffrey. Because if McCaffrey's going to have that type of game where he could be an MVP when it's all said and done, Brock Purdy's going to have his time to at least get a chance to, I won't say pick apart the chief defense, but if they're going to stack 8-9 in the box and slow down McCaffrey and they're going to have to force Brock Purdy into passing on third and long throughout the course of the game... That's going to spell curtains for that offense. And the defense, as we talked about with the 49ers, has not been great as of late. We understand who the guys are, the Nick Boses of the world, the Fred Warners, etc., going down the line. But to me, that secondary can be picked on. That defense, although they're going to bring a ton of pressure, but as we know, Patrick Mahomes does not take a lot of sacks. 
And the chief offensive line, we would think Joe Thune, who did not play in the championship game, the left guard, you would think he's going to suit up and be ready for Sunday night. But the 49ers, to me, that's going to be the key. And yes, their kicker is also suspect because the Chiefs have a kicker in Harrison Butker who has made pressure kicks. A guy who knows his way around the playoffs and even the Super Bowl. Mind you, he kicked the game winner last year when they beat the Eagles there in the closing seconds against Philadelphia where the Eagles, although they had the ball late, but they weren't able to gain any ground and they had a last desperation heave by Jalen Hurts, if you remember, that fell way short of the end zone and the Chiefs were able to win another Super Bowl and looking to tack on a third this go-around. So for the special teams, when it comes to the kicking game, you don't want to put it in the hands of Jake Moody to be a guy that even though... It's going to be indoors and weather's not going to be a factor. But the advantage certainly goes to Kansas City in that regard. And as for the Chiefs, bottom line is this. They don't beat themselves. They rarely make mistakes. We could talk about the quarterback until the cows come home, as we all know. And it doesn't matter. You can have me at wide receiver because for all the drops and for all the ineptitude that we saw throughout the course of the year, whether it was the Monday night game against Philly with... Marquez Valdez-Scantling dropping that ball, which would have sealed the game for the Chiefs that night. Or what we saw against the Raiders on Christmas Day, where they weren't able to muster up any offense early on in their defense. Certainly did not do the job against a Niner, excuse me, against a Raider offense that had one completion after the first quarter. And we've seen times that the Chiefs have just gone to sleep. But this is the Super Bowl. This is actually going to be their fourth game in the last five years. And that doesn't automatically mean they're going to win the game, as we know. But with Mahomes, who I'm sure is now looking to get number three, for Andy Reid, the same, and even with a lot of whispers of maybe him calling it quits after this game, which I couldn't even tell you if my life depended on it. Would I be shocked? Absolutely not. But if he stayed, would I be surprised? Of course not. He has number 15 as his quarterback, and as long as he's healthy and upright and making plays as he's done throughout the course of his career, he can win multiple Super Bowls. And he's already won multiple as it's been constituted here over the last few years, but even more so from a standpoint of maybe winning three, four, five, and so on. And the chief defense, like I mentioned about Spagnolo, what he's going to dial up against that Niner Offense is going to be interesting because he does have to respect the ground game and their offensive line. And we could talk about how the game's going to be one of the trenches. And oh, of course, we understand that that's going to be the case. But it's intriguing to me, based on what we saw against the Baltimore Ravens and what Spagnolo was able to do there, now this is a whole different beast because the Ravens, we get it that they do have some skill position players there. And even though they have some young players that they relied on, in particular, Zay Flowers, even Isaiah Likely to a certain extent, where they didn't really have a full, healthy Mark Andrews, and Odo Beckham Jr. was, to me, a decoy. But here, with the Niners, as I mentioned, those players, and what that offense is capable of doing, it's going to be fascinating to see what is going to do, and that's going to be a matchup that I'm sure the defensive coordinator of the Chiefs is up all night scribbling, typing, whatever it is to try to do what he can to slow down this Niner offense because they did not have McCaffrey in Super Bowl 54. 
And Spagnuolo was the defensive coordinator of that game. So now we're going to get to see those matchups and how that's going to unfold. And I'm going to find it even more than fascinating. It is really compelling to see what the chess match is going to be between Kyle Shanahan, Steve Spagnuolo, and then what the chief offense is going to do against that Niner defense, which has some potholes. And unless they're going to shore them up and get themselves ready to where they're in mid-season or early-season form, then I'm going to have to see that first before I believe it. And of course, we can't predict turnovers. We can't predict where personal fouls or key penalties are going to factor into these games. As we saw just in the last two years, the Logan Wilson hold on Cooper Cup on a third and 10, which really turned the trajectory of that game late in Super Bowl 56, Bengals-Rams. And then last year, the hold on Juju Smith-Schuster, which they could have let go. It wasn't egregious, wasn't a foul. And if this was October, November, we can maybe understand them blowing the whistle. But this is the Super Bowl. And if you recall, the last two games, there were not a lot of penalties. And they swallowed the whistle. They didn't even, they wanted to let them play. And they didn't even bother staggering the game with penalties left and right until, for whatever the reason, the final seconds or minutes of the game, based on what we saw here at SoFi two years ago and then last year in the desert in Arizona. So let's hope that that's not going to be the case. But all I will say is this in reference to the game itself. I wonder if the Niners are going to come out of the gate flying. You would think that's going to be the case based on what we saw against Green Bay and Detroit in their building. It's almost as if the tables may turn now because a lot of people may expect for the Niners to come out of the gate slow. And especially with Brock Purdy not getting on track until the second half in both of those games. And he could do that against the Packers and Lions. He's not going to be able to do that against this team. Not to say he has to play a perfect game. Not to say that he has to come out just roaring and being able to have a high percentage as far as completions go and to get a couple of touchdowns on the board. But he's going to have to match or come close to matching what Patrick Mahomes is going to do. Because one thing Patrick Mahomes, and although he had a couple of interceptions in the game against the Niners the first go around, including one in the fourth quarter. But one more time. The Chiefs rarely beat themselves. Mahomes is not going to have a three interception and two fumbles that are going to be recovered by the Niners defense type of game. You can see that from Brock Purdy, though. And I would not be surprised if the Niners even get an early score or maybe even jump on the Chiefs early to the point that maybe they'll have a 14-3 lead. And as we've seen, and I know I've had to shut my trap when it comes to Brock Purdy bringing this team from behind, a big deficit, etc., where, as we saw in the Green Bay game and also Detroit, him doing that, he's not going to be able to do that against this team. And I'm not trying to say that the chief defense are the 85 Bears or the 2000 Ravens. But if the Chiefs are up 14-3, that's going to be... Now, it depends. If it's early second quarter, that's one thing. But let's just say it's 24-14 late in the third quarter. Again, you have Mahomes on the other side. So even if they make a 24-20, you know Mahomes and company, they're going to rally the troops and say, all right, boys, we got to get a TD here or at least a field goal, and they're going to do it. Now, can the Niners defense stop that? Of course they can, but who do you trust more, the Niners defense or Patrick Mahomes? 
And one more time, they cannot come out of this game like molasses. If they have another performance the way they did, especially against the Lions, but the Packers, that was tooth and nail, especially when you got the second half was close. They actually had a lead at the half against Green Bay. But that is going to be insurmountable if for whatever reason, they get out slow and they're unable to move the chains or at least make field goals or touchdowns into field goals and they have to settle for Jake Moody to get them on the board. That can't happen against this team. And that's the one thing that you like, and I understand chief fatigue and all, the one thing you like about Kansas City is that they can play in shootout mode or they can win a 17-10 game on the road like they did in Baltimore. Because they understand the flow of the game. They understand that, oh, we're going to need to pile on the points like they did against Buffalo? Fine, we could do that. Oh, wait a minute. Baltimore slowing down our offense in the second half? Oh, man, we can't get anything going? Well, the chief defense picked them up big time. And then when you needed the first down in a big part of the game, third and nine, what does Mahomes do? Low percentage, floating, timing pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling to ice the game and put them and put themselves in position to go to a Super Bowl. Now, everybody in the world is picking Kansas City as I've been able to follow this week. I guess a lot of people are not betting against Patrick Mahomes and how could you? Or the experience of this team, knowing that they finally were able to get on the road for the first time in the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes era, and they came up smelling like roses. And a lot of people are probably thinking, well, how would I even expect that that's going to slow down here in a Super Bowl? It wasn't like a few years ago where they went up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their stadium with Tom Brady and a pass rush that was relentless against an offensive line that was Swiss cheese. Now, I think that the Niner pass rush is just as good as that Buccaneer pass rush of three years ago. But again, I'm sure Andy Reid, if he goes back into the Rolodex and thinks about making adjustments along the way, which he didn't do at that time, I'm sure he's going to do that in order to have his team be able to pull out a victory or have a chance to win the game if it's tight there in the fourth quarter. Do I think this is going to be a competitive game? I think it will. Do I think it's going to be close? I could say yes. Could it be? I'm not going to say a blowout, but could this get away early from San Francisco? I wouldn't be surprised. And that's the one thing you have to wonder about the Niner quarterback. He was able to get away with it in those two games so far this postseason. And if he comes out with a thud where the stage and his eyes are too big for his stomach and the butterflies are traveling from his stomach to his heart, to his head, to the tip of his toes. You have to wonder about a guy who, again, seventh round pick, even first round picks. Ask Troy Aikman how he felt when he was at his first Super Bowl in Pasadena, Super Bowl 27 against Buffalo. And that was a number one overall pick and a Hall of Famer. At the time, we didn't know it, but still. So, how I look at this game, it's Patrick Mahomes to lose. The Niners can win this game by all means. It's not a foregone conclusion that the Chiefs just. Give them the Lombardi Trophy. Absolutely not. But if McCaffrey's not going to get his, and they're not going to be able to capitalize if they get some turnovers, and of course we can't predict those, and field position, I don't think it matters for either one of these teams because they both have very good offenses. So even if the Niners, their average starting point is at the 14-yard line, and the same for the Chiefs, I'm not going to be worried whether or not these teams can move the ball on one another. 
Not in the least. But it is hard to bet against number 15 in red and gold. And I'm sure he could taste it. I'm sure he could smell it. I'm sure he's probably hammering at home as I speak. Guys, one more win away from being a dynasty. Now, I wouldn't call him a dynasty. I get it three Super Bowls in four years. Could it be deemed that? I guess in this day and age, but I like three straight. Better than three out of four. Because we saw the Patriots do that in the mid-2000s. We've seen the Cowboys do that in the mid-90s. And they've been classified as dynasties. Alright, if you want to call it that, be my guest. But I think that the Chiefs, knowing that with all the naysayers and with Mahomes having that little Jordan-like quality of taking it personal, Kansas City, 29. San Francisco, 22. Now, as far as everything else surrounding the Super Bowl, and I'll get to this because it's, I don't want to say it's fun, but it's going to be talked about regardless. The halftime show, I'm not an Usher fan. There's a couple of his songs I like, but I'm not a big fan of his. The song Yeah with Little John and Ludacris, I'm sure he's probably going to come out with those guys when the halftime begins. To me, that's one of the most overrated songs in history. And I get it, it's a popular song. You hear it at a bunch of weddings, you see it now in commercials. But that song, especially during that time in the early 2000s, I believe, what was it, 03, 04 when it came out? I understand it was a big hit, but to me it's overrated. I don't think it's a great song. And I'm not trying to throw cold water on Usher or the song, but it, it really, it's not great. So you're going to hear that a thousand times between now and Sunday. And yeah, I could care less. To me, the halftime show of all time, and it still hasn't been topped since February of 2007 is Prince. So, until somebody comes close to matching that or even surpasses that, that'll be news. And I don't know if Usher's going to do that. So, that's number one. Number two, all these Super Bowl commercials, these teasers that you saw going back to the championship weekend and even throughout the course of the week. And if you watch the Today Show, and not that I'm a big watcher of that, my wife is more tuned in on that where she gets ready for work. But my thing is, is that they're actually showing... The whole Super Bowl commercial, if you watch the Today Show, not even as teasers, but hey, here's just a sneak peek or a preview of what you're going to see on Sunday. Why even bother? Now, I understand for those who watch the morning shows, and I'm sure Good Morning America probably has a portion of those commercials, CBS as well, and CBS is broadcasting the game, but oh, I can't take it anymore. And these commercials have gone down since the days of the 80s and 90s, where the Bud commercials with the WhatsApp and even the Pepsi commercials with Cindy Crawford at the gas station in front of the vending machine. These commercials are a far cry from what they once were. And I'm far from an advertising exec, Madison Avenue, etc. But please, they got to do a lot better than this. And they've been flailing here over the last half decade plus. Hopefully there'll be some that we can laugh at or something that we could... You know, it's a little thought-provoking, whatever, creative, etc. But, ugh, it has been tough sledding for these marketing execs and advertising to come up with just a good commercial. Not even a great commercial. So you have that. The prop bets and all that, I can't get into it. I know I mentioned Taylor Swift earlier. And you know there's going to be a Taylor tracker during the pregame because of the concert... In Tokyo, her flying, and you know she's going to fly private. I'm sure they already have the jet from the, I would think, the record label will have that because the record label also is going to look good 
by getting, and not to say that Taylor Swift can't afford it because she can afford her own jet if she probably does have one, I would think, but let's just say she doesn't. Just to give the label a pop as she mentioned her new album that's going to come out and not that I'm trying to be a shill for Taylor Swift by any stretch, but that's going to be a, not a tidbit news story, that is going to be a major news story to see where she's at. Because again, this pregame is going to start, what, Friday night at 9 p.m. So you're going to have plenty of time to see whether or not Taylor has landed in Vegas. Has she come out of the plane in Vegas? Is she in the limo? Is she going to the hotel? Is she going straight to the stadium? You're going to be over your eyeballs in Taylor Swift news. And then, this Super Bowl, as we all know, the NFL is bulletproof. And I don't want to hear the NFL talk about, oh, we're going to be so excited for all the Swifties to watch as if they need Taylor Swift fans to watch the Super Bowl. But by far, and this isn't going out on a limb by any stretch, and we've seen the top 10 highest rated TV shows of all time, I would think, what is it, all of them, if not most of them, are Super Bowls. Because the Oscars, the Grammys, they can't even compete or pale in comparison to what the NFL does. And now you have a scenario where Taylor Swift is literally going to be in the building as a spectator. Now, could you imagine if the NFL, back in August or whenever it was, when they decided who was going to be the halftime musical guest, if Taylor Swift was the halftime for this game, oh my goodness, with her boyfriend playing in the game? Now, you don't have to worry about that because just knowing that she's going to be in a luxury suite, God knows what time, that you're probably going to get somewhere in the 120s. And I think the highest rated Super Bowl was probably in the 1-teens, 116. I don't know off the top of my head. I should have maybe dredged that up somewhere so I could have it for you guys and gals. But this Super Bowl is going to be unlike any other with her presence there. And I get it that everybody's sick and tired of the Chiefs. And the Niners trying to win a Super Bowl for the first time since 1994. All that is going to be a ratings bonanza. And it's a ratings bonanza even without Taylor Swift in the game. So imagine with her just being there. Forget about it. It's probably going to be 120. Who knows? It's probably going to be at least 120. And with all of her fans out there, who knows? I I couldn't even guess. But it's going to be the most watched television show in the history of TV, and that's going back to what? The early 50s. Think about that. And one last thing before I move on. Tony Romo. Let's see how he's going to be the color commentator of this game because I haven't gotten on his case that much throughout the course of this year and even in the postseason. But with this being the biggest event of the year by far and what he's going to do, I don't want to hear in the second quarter with the Chiefs down 10-3 and the ball, where the Chiefs have the ball and it's at midfield and it's fourth and five and the Chiefs are going to go for it. I don't want to hear that, oh, there's a big play of the game I don't want to hear that then. I don't want to hear that in the third quarter, fourth quarter, or dare I even say in the first quarter. Because every play is huge with him. Every play is big. Every play is this. Every play is that. Tony, we watch the games. We know. We understand. I get it that you're going to have a faction of people who aren't going to know a fourth and five and how big the play is going to be, especially if you have the Swifties watching. But the point of the matter is is that he can't suffocate the game. He can't just babble on 
or try to address certain things in weird spots of the game or bring up things, events of the past, which he's done, where they're erroneous. If he's going to talk about a play in the Super Bowl that happened 40 years ago and meanwhile, it was actually 20 years ago, things like that where Romo could just be sloppy. So unfortunately, we may be talking about Tony Romo on Monday and I have talked about him in the past and I've refrained from trying to even criticize him over the last year or so. But if he's going to be egregious with some of his comments or some of his commentary, uh, it's going to be brought to light here. That's all there is to it. So there you have it, people. As we anticipate what will take place there in Vegas come Sunday night. And we'll recap it all on Monday, of course, before we get into that sports dead zone where we won't have much to really get into, of course, as NBA. We know the sports that are out there. But with this being the finale, putting the final piece to the NFL puzzle for the 2023 season, I'm sure there are a lot of tears that are going to be shed come Sunday night knowing that football will be out of our consciousness as far as games being played on the field because we know with free agency, the draft, training camp, there's going to be a lot to chew on then. But seven months we're going to have to wait from this coming Sunday until the football season begins in earnest come September. And with that being said, I don't know if you saw this the other day, but the NFL in the Commissioner's State of the Union address where I know it's usually the Friday before the Super Bowl, but they had it Monday and I believe it was limited media that had that were participating in this State of the Union. But for Roger Goodell to come out and say that the NFL, as we knew that they were going to go to Brazil to have a game being played there, I thought maybe it would be around that October into November time frame where we've seen the games in London and in Germany and places like that, even Mexico in the past. But for Brazil being on the map for the first time where the NFL is going to venture there, but I was shocked to not only find out that the NFL season is going to take place in Brazil the day after the Super Bowl champion will host and kick off the 2024 NFL season. So not only are they going to play the game in Brazil the first weekend of the NFL season, but they're going to play it the day after. It's going to be a Friday I don't know if it's afternoon, even I guess it's going to be evening, although Brazil, I believe, is an hour ahead of us. Or maybe they're an hour behind. I don't really know off the top of my head. I think they're an hour behind. So if the game starts at 7, it's going to be 8 p.m. there. Here's where the NFL are pigs. This is what I've talked about in my vlog. If you didn't watch it, I released it the other day, Seven Reasons Why I'm Down in the NFL. This game that's going to be in Brazil is going to be on a Friday night. And the Eagles are going to be the home team. Now, mind you, the NFC has the odd number of home games this year. So they'll have the nine. So they're going to have their eight games regardless. But the one game, because this being an extra with the Eagles and the opponent hasn't been determined as of yet. But think about this. You're going to have an NFL game on a Friday night. What's next? Wednesday night? Tuesday night? They're trying to dominate the entire landscape. And I'm just sick of it. And this is one of the things that just turns me off about the league. Just have the game. Why not have it on a Sunday night where the game's in Brazil? Why not? I get it that it's a long flight. It's 10 hours from the States, depending on where you're at. You're not flying several time zones over. And 
for them to have it on a Friday and then for the Eagles, who knows? Maybe they're going to play the following Monday night so they could have a 10-day respite, a mini-buy, so to speak. But I'm just sick and tired of it. I'm tired of the NFL just flexing their muscles and posturing against all the other sports and just not even caring. Friday night? Ugh. All right, let me move on here. Let me get to some other things before I bid adieu. And there's still quite a few to get into, so let's get right to it. The association, the NBAs, I lace up my high tops. You have the trade deadline by 3 p.m. today. And who knows what you're going to get between now and then. You may have some scenarios where DeMar DeRozan could be shipped to Philadelphia as that's the hot rumor at this very moment with Joel Embiid on the show for four weeks as he tore his meniscus. We talked about that on Monday. And without having Embiid, the reigning MVP there, they have to bring some sort of reinforcement in there. And I guess DeMar DeRozan could be that guy as the Bulls. I understand they're hovering in the... Playing scenario with the 7-10 through 10 range when it comes to the Eastern Conference. But whether the Sixers are going to bring in a body there to substitute for Embiid while he's on the shelf. The Celtics made a trade the other day with Xavier Tillman with the Grizzlies who brings some front court presence, even depth there, which they need a body that could defend, which I thought was a very wise move. They traded for a couple of second round picks so they didn't have to go deep into the into their pockets or even into their plethora of draft picks to give up a lot to obtain a player like Tillman. So any other players that may be traded between now and then, it's going to be hard to tell. I know I talked about on Monday where you may have the likes of Zach Levine, who is already hurt and not going to play as he had surgery the other day. And you have some other players that could be dealt in the next few hours as the deadline is 3 p.m. today. And by the time you listen to this, who knows? The trade deadline will already have come and gone. Although I do plan to post this up a couple hours before the deadline comes and goes. You have a guy like Miles Bridges who, controversy and all, with all the off-the-court issues, he vetoed his trade power. He wants to stay in Charlotte. And that's the right thing for him to do. Obviously, he has to restore his image and everything that has transpired off the court with domestic violence, alleged domestic violence issues, and although he could be a guy that could help down the stretch for a team that's looking to make a deep postseason run, but do you want to add on that baggage to your team and have to deal with that throughout the course of the year? Well, Bridges shot that down and he vetoed any trade power, or as far as him getting traded to another team, so you don't have to worry about that. But the association will get to see. I don't think there's going to be a blockbuster deal pending with any of these teams, I'd be absolutely surprised if that's the case. Who knows what Miami may have up their sleeve. I know that they may bring in somebody. I don't know if they're going to go back to that well with Kelly Olenek. I know it's another guy that his name's been thrown out there as far as rumors go. And he played with Miami a few years back. But you have those bottom teams there, whether it is the Brooklyn Nets. And who knows if they're going to be heard from this year. We understand that with Kyrie coming into the building and they're playing the Knicks tonight. His return to Brooklyn first time since the trade. and was actually the anniversary of the trade, but he just pushed aside anything that went down with Brooklyn, saying that he moved on, that he learned a lot. Obviously, his controversial tenure here as a member of the Nets did not go as planned and certainly didn't come to fruition as far as being able to go up Atlantic Avenue with a NBA championship in tow. With he, Kevin Durant, and even James Harden to a lesser degree because he was here for about five minutes 
from his trade from Houston before being shipped to Philadelphia. But I don't know if there's going to be a lot of activity. You may see a lot of small trades. Who knows if there's going to be anything of significance when it comes to a, I'm not going to say a superstar player, but a player that may raise an eyebrow that, ooh, you didn't expect to be traded. I can't see that or I can't even tell. And you have a lot of these teams here hovering around that 7 to 10 range. Like I mentioned with the Miami Heat, they're currently 7th. Will the Sacramento Kings make a deal considering they've dropped the 7th? You look at even a team like the Mavericks, I don't know if they're going to bring on another guy, but they would be sure to bring a veteran presence there, whether it's a shooter or someone that could play some defense or get some rebounds. A guy like Xavier Tillman would have been perfect for them. But when we take a look at the land here, as far as the NBA, who knows what the Cavaliers are going to do. They've actually played well, and they've shot up the Eastern Conference to where they're now second. Right behind the Celtics. Now they're five games back, four in the loss, but they've done a stupendous job to get themselves past the Bucks, even the Knicks and Sixers for that matter. And we know the Sixers have been struggling here with the loss of Embiid. But who knows if they're going to do anything as far as make any trades. And we shall see. I will post something on my YouTube channel. I'm sure if anything that's earth shattering that I'm going to have to address whether it's up right at the deadline or past that, my YouTube channel, at JReels, for any of the latest what goes on there. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. Other than that, you haven't really had much here throughout the NBA over the last few days. I know Kyrie's return, as I mentioned. He did score 36 points, had a big game. Luke almost had a triple-double. And they'll play the Knicks tonight in the Garden as their little sojourn in New York will conclude. Let me see if there's any interesting games on the schedule. Now, their all-star break is next week, so next Thursday, they'll have their break until, I believe, the following Thursday with the NHL already taking care of business with their all-star game just last weekend. In fact, the Cavaliers are in Brooklyn tonight, so they are our local. We'll get to see them up close and personal. Anything else on the docket? We talked about Dallas and the Knicks. Minnesota at Milwaukee is an interesting matchup tonight if you want to Take heed to those two teams and what they may do. Denver's at the Lakers, where the Lakers have played well. So you have some very interesting games on the schedule tonight. As far as the weekend goes, Super Bowl Sunday, you know there's always the 2 o'clock game right before the Super Bowl. Not a big schedule date for the NBA on that day. And not that that matters because the Super Bowl will swallow up anything. But you have Boston and Miami at 2 o'clock. And then Saturday night, you have Phoenix at Golden State, the Saturday showcase on ABC. So you have Saturday night, ABC, 8.30, Sunday, 2 o'clock, Boston and Miami before you get set for the Super Bowl. Sacramento and at Oklahoma City at 3 o'clock, right before kickoff there on Sunday. But that is your slate for the NBA over the course of the next few days. And you have Victor Wembanyama coming to Brooklyn on Saturday for those who are interested. The prize rookie who's had a decent rookie year, but he hasn't really been leading the attack or really been a guy that's had a bunch of headlines. Now, he's had some moments. I'm not trying to say he's been a bust or he's been underwhelming, but they are San Antonio. They're a team that is still trying to find their own, but he hasn't really separated himself as a guy, unlike, let's say, LeBron coming in or Shaq in his first year in Orlando. It's not as if he's been lighting the world on fire with this play to the point where a Victor Wembanyama game is must-see TV. 
So that's what we have with the NBA. As I lace up my skates, well, before I get to that college basketball, you had the one upset earlier this week where Kansas State beat the Jayhawks in their building. Not the Jayhawks building, not the Allen Fieldhouse, but for the Wildcats to beat the Jayhawks there, 75-70, Jayhawks were number three ranked in the country. And as I mentioned on Monday, you have to wonder whether or not what is going to happen here with college basketball here. It is going to be highly unpredictable. And even if the tournament were to begin today, let's say, for instance, if this was Selection Sunday, who would be the top four teams that would be the top seeds in each of the brackets? Now, it's easy to say UConn and Purdue, they'd be one and two. North Carolina, although they lost, they did beat Duke there last Saturday, but they did have a loss there last week. But they are currently ranked three, and Kansas has now dropped the slot to four. I think you'd have to argue whether or not that those would be the top four number ones. It's easy to say that right now. I can't guarantee that. And that's more than a month from now, because here we are, what is it, February the 8th? Shout out to my brother Ruben. Today's his birthday, by the way. I should have mentioned at the top. Turned 40. So happy birthday to him, as I digress. But for these four teams to be the number ones in each of the four brackets, I could see that. But so much could happen between now and then that you may have Houston or Tennessee, or who knows if Duke comes up and maybe even wins the ACC. A lot could happen. And that's just indicative of what we could possibly expect here with college basketball from here to March 17th, where we'll have Selection Sunday and who's going to be not only the top seed overall, which right now is looking like UConn, but who will be representative of each of the four brackets there when we get to the middle of March. And is there any interesting games here on the schedule over the next few days? Let's take a look. Based on what I gather here, nothing really to sink your teeth into. And of course, Sunday is going to be a limited schedule. A lot of those games are going to be played in the early afternoon before the Super Bowl, so... And that's the one thing. College basketball, unlike college football, where we could zero in on one week and say, oh, you got four or five good games here. College basketball doesn't have that same appeal. I was trying to look for two teams that are ranked that may be going up against one another, as we saw with Carolina and Duke there on Saturday. But based on what I saw, nothing really to shake a stick at. So that's what we have there with the college basketball. As far as the NHLs, I lace up my skates. And I don't want to say the layoff killed Edmonton with a shot at History, winning 17 straight games and being a team that could match the 92-93 Pittsburgh Penguins. But the 10-day layoff certainly didn't help where they did lose 3-1 in Vegas. It was a close game before Vegas was able to pull away and give credit to Vegas for stopping and halting that streak because although it would have gone unnoticed to a lot of people, maybe not the diehard hockey fan or even the diehard sports fan for that matter, like i.e. yours truly, But unless it was equaled or even better yet, eclipsed with an 18-game winning streak, then a lot of people would have taken notice. And think about this. The game that was played in Vegas was during Super Bowl week. Now, mind you, it was early in the week, so it's not as if a lot of people were descending on Vegas, where I'm sure today is going to be a big travel day out to Vegas for people to jumpstart their weekends, get ready for... If they're going to go to the game, lucky them. But just to be in Vegas, to be in that atmosphere, the environment with the buzz, gambling, everything, that even with Edmonton going to Vegas, I'm sure that didn't get a lot of buzz coming out of the break with those two teams going at it. And of course, teams that are in the same division, 
I might add, where they're just points apart. But that was a game where, unfortunately, a lot of people didn't pay attention to unless you're like myself, who is in tune or was a diehard really monitoring whether or not that Edmonton was going to take their place amongst the ranks of the best regular season winning streak in the history of the sport. Obviously, you didn't get that. But as far as the games overall and really just the league on a whole, you had Elias Lindholm in his Canucks debut. They made a trade between Calgary, the Flames, and Vancouver last week just to improve their offense a bit. And he's already paid dividends with a couple of goals there in his first game against the Carolina Hurricanes to where they won 3-2. And if Lindholm's going to give them a jolt offensively and the Canucks under the radar... And I didn't think that they were going to be a team that was going to make some noise, not only just in the Pacific or even out West, but just the entire league overall. And not to say that this trade was the final piece or the missing link, but you do have to wonder whether or not Vancouver is going to be a team when you get to April that could be in the running for not just making a Stanley Cup final, but winning the whole thing. They've certainly played well. They've played well over what I've expected them to Play. I thought it was going to be Vegas or even Edmonton that were going to be the top two teams coming out of the Pacific Division and maybe being a top two seed overall. But Vancouver is doing anything and everything they can to shut me up and maybe even shut up the hockey fan out there to know that Vancouver means business as they try to continue to pile on, which is becoming a special regular season for them. So we'll see how that fares. But when we look overall, nothing much has really come about Here in the NHL, since the All-Star break, everything has pretty much been the same. I know the Rangers have now extended their lead, beating the Lightning last night, and now they have a six-point advantage over the Hurricanes. Now, the Hurricanes have two games in hand over the Rangers, but with a six-point cushion, I was going to say six-game, a six-point cushion in the division, that certainly helps. Everything's pretty much the same out west with Vancouver, like I mentioned, with a sizable lead. Now seven points over Vegas, and they also have a seven-point lead over the Edmonton Oilers. Colorado, Dallas, and Winnipeg are jammed. Four points, excuse me, three points separating those teams. Where Dallas and Colorado are tied, Colorado has one win more than Dallas. So that's why they currently are in first place in the Central Division. And then the Bruins still have the top spot there in the Atlantic over Florida, Toronto, etc., as we continue to move closer to the middle and latter part of the month as we get deeper into this NHL season. And then lastly, baseball. Pitchers and catchers, one week from today, they will report. Now I get it, nobody's in baseball mode. And even though I could try to even have visions of the green grass, the smell of beer and popcorn And just the thoughts of warmer days, still a ways to go here. But even with the top free agents not being signed as of yet, the Jordan Montgomery's, the Matt Chapman's, the guys like that, Blake Snell, who is a reigning Cy Young Award winner in the National League, where those guys are still looking for employment and looking to sign on the dotted line. You had two other signings this week, which were huge, one by... A team that is looking to find themselves almost 10 years after winning a World Series, and that would be the Kansas City Royals, Bobby Witt Jr., 11 years, $288.7 million, which 
We've seen a lot of these teams do, whether it's the Rays and Juan DeFranco, and we know how that's gone so far. Teams like that where they're banking on their young superstar to not only be the face of the franchise, but a guy that they can lock in to hopefully procure more talent along the way. And even though the Royals cannot go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers, with the Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, Phillies, Cubs, etc. But they could do their best by not letting their homegrown talent go elsewhere and sign the big bucks in those big markets. So I can't say that that's a bad deal. I can't say, what are they, nuts, so on and so forth. The Royals can spend just as much money as the Dodgers do. And I get it, they played in a market that is very small. It's not Los Angeles, it's not New York, it's not the city of brotherly love. But... They do have a competitive balance where if they want to sign all those guys, they can. And good for them by keeping Witt at home and hopefully they could build around him and bring, whether it be free agents, which would be news to the Royal fan, but hopefully they have a good enough farm system that they could have these guys locked in. Take note, Baltimore Orioles, and I understand new ownership, etc., but... That was a good signing for them, and I get it's a lot of money to an unproven player, etc., but we know Witt, we would think he's going to be a perennial all-star, and who knows, maybe even one day an MVP if his team starts getting any better, but that was a good signing, if you ask me, a great signing for an organization that needs to have a face of the franchise, etc., and then on the flip side, you have a venerable World Series crusty veteran that was going to go into his walk year, and even though his teammate down the way at third base, who knows if he's going to be signed long-term. But one thing for sure, Jose Altuve gets his extension, five years, $125 million, do the math, $25 million a year. Very team-friendly. And kudos to their organization for keeping Altuve in a Houston Astro uniform. And let's call it as we see it. When it's all said and done, and it looks like he's going to stay as an Astro when he retires, he's going to the Hall of Fame. The guy is money. The guy is clutch. I'm sure everybody can't stand him between him with the cheating scandal and him hitting the walk-off homer against the Yankees in the ALCS in 2019, him pulling on his shirt and then coming out without a jersey and all of the alleged rumors regarding a microphone put on him where he's trying to tip pitches or tell his teammates what's coming, etc. But Altuve, the guy's a gamer. The guy is clutch. And all you have to do is go back to the ALCS last year when they were at 2-2 in the ninth inning, hit a three-run homer in the ninth inning to go back to Houston, up 3-2, but then they spit the bit by not winning at home. Not to say I was all on Altuve, but my point is is that he's going to be in the fold for the next five years, Altuve, so you can boo on him, hate on him more, and that orange and blue Astro uniform. So as we get set for pitchers and catchers just a week away and with football about to exit stage left, slowly but surely, the sports dead zone is coming at you. But that's not going to slow down yours truly, Jay Reels, because that will conclude another episode. Thank you so much for stopping by, for carving out precious time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Like I mentioned at the top, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review, throw me a few stars, write a review, go to my YouTube channel, at JReels. Any questions, comments, suggestions, you could do so there. Also, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast, Twitter, X, JReels1, just a number. 
or the old-fashioned way, the Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I always say. And now, coming full circle, me being a full-time content creator. That's right, full-time. And I talked about this on Monday's podcast last week, but this coming Monday, you're going to get a video component of the podcast as well. So stay tuned for that on my YouTube channel because I am going to continue to bring the pain, passion, fire, and energy, people. Now it is my full-time job. I'm putting and pushing all my chips to the middle of the table to get this podcast to be a household name, to get it up in the pantheon and the lexicon of all the others that are out there. Because my truth, my passion, my focus is squarely on this to you guys and gals. With my thoughts, opinions, critiques, praise, analysis, feelings on anything and everything. That happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast... On the flip, baby.